This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is Friday. It is a football Friday, big football Friday. I mean, they're all big football Fridays when it's football season. Thanks for joining us on Mile High Sports. I'm Chandro Tar, Sandy Clough. On my left, Danny Bailey in the booth making all that work. You can uh, check out the show if you're, you know, so inclined. Maybe if you're, I mean, I'm sure if you're sitting in, in like a cubicle at work and you have like an hour left, you're definitely focused on TPS reports or whatever it is. But if you weren't, or maybe you have like a big monitor, a second monitor, and just kind of felt like watching the program, you can do that too. We don't judge. We don't know. Uh, com. You can always catch it right there too and watch the program right there while uh, while it's live and take a look at uh, the, the excitement of the piles and piles of paper and computer that Sandy and I bring in because, you know, we prepare for the show. We try to do at least, right? The, again, Colorado Buffalo is not the Denver Broncos are the biggest football story in town this weekend. They will go to Oregon where they will face the uh, Oregon Ducks in Autzen Stadium in Eugene, where they are a three-touchdown underdog. That is uh, not great. Let's just put it that way. That is not a good place to be in, but it is probably deserved because, yes, Oregon is really that good. Oregon is very good and very innovative. They have a young offensive coordinator uh, who I believe was at Texas San Antonio last year, UTSA. And though very young, he tried out some concepts that we may see a lot of tomorrow, particularly on uh, plays that are run to the boundary side of the field. And I'm sure that CU is well aware of what uh, variety Oregon can bring and the natural fan reaction, and I must say my reaction most times when that happens, uh, particularly in college football because the short side of the field is shorter. <laughs> yes. And NFL. Short side, right. Uh, but no, I see exactly. what you're saying. It's, it's actually, yeah, it's a smaller. But fans are saying, well, why are you running plays to the short side of the field? It's all jammed up over there. That's kind of the point. Right. It creates confusion. It creates so, confusion. Uh, they're very exactly innovative. Right. Bo Nix is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, yes, they've <laughs> played teams so far that uh, other than Texas Tech really haven't challenged Oregon's them. National, That's the reason they're averaging 58 yeah, points per Their game. advertising budget pretty good, too. I mean, there's a billboard on Bo Nix uh, in L.A. Yeah. about you know the, the Heisman candidacy yeah. is in full swing. ESPN did something interesting, um, and I think it came out either very late yesterday afternoon after we were on the air. I'd I know I didn't see it. It may have been there earlier. But they took the 39 unbeaten teams in FBS, mm-hmm. and they ranked them. Uh, yeah. You know, based on small sample size, admittedly. And uh, I, I I was a little surprised to find Oregon as far down as 11, but I think strength of schedule has something to do I with mean, that. I mean, they're ranked 10th. It's not a right. immense Right. There's not really a, a, a big drop-off. And... Uh, Colorado is right behind Duke and just ahead of Missouri at 26 out of the 39. I don't find that and to be unreasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable no, uh, either. I don't either. Uh, now, and, you know, they're ahead of Louisville. They're ahead of Rutgers. They're ahead of Memphis, Wake Forest, Kansas, Air Force, 
obviously an undefeated team. Yeah. CU, I, I'm not sure CU is a better team than Air Force. I'm not sure they aren't a better team than Air Force. I, I just don't know enough uh, about either team at the, this the point. The styles are so contrasting, Air Force too, is yeah. playing a schedule, obviously, that is much more manageable than Colorado's schedule. Um, Colorado's ranked ahead of BYU, Liberty, Fresno State, James Madison, Marshall, and Georgia State. Georgia State is actually a pretty good football yeah. team. They, they come in 39th, though, out of the 39 unbeaten teams. And uh, this is really a terrific college weekend. Look at all. And, uh, uh, by the way, um, I uh, may have hinted earlier this week that the CU Oregon ratings would rise again over what the Buffs drew last week for Colorado State, which is $9.3 million. Uh, yes, the game was played late at night. It was also essentially the only game on. There's no competition. Right. Tomorrow they play at 1.30. Mm-hmm. And there are several other games. Three national broadcasts, same on. kick time, right. all Matchups oh, of top 25 teams. 3.30 Eastern is your prime afternoon slot for college football on Saturdays. So there will be competition, and I doubt they will draw $9.3 million. However, I think there's a good chance that their game with Oregon tomorrow will outrate Alabama Ole Miss, I think which so. is one of the other games, and again involves, uh, yes, an Alabama team that seems to have Hit the skids, uh, thanks in no small measure to the fact that they haven't definitively identified a quarterback yet, although I think they've now made the obvious choice. They said that uh, Milrow will be the guy that will be staying there, according to Nick Milrow, there won't be any more shuffling. The other two guys had their shot last week against a bad team, uh, well below Alabama's level. And Alabama, yes, it was a driving rainstorm, but could, could hardly move the ball. And both quarterbacks were abysmal. But... This is going to be an exciting game to watch. Uh, it may end up being a game that CU loses, but actually gains in national acclaim for having taken on and played close by far the best team they played yet this year. By far, no doubt. No doubt about it. They could also get blown out. And again, in every CU piece I read, particularly at the athletic site where there are many, many complaints about the amount of attention CU is getting, and I even contributed to one of the postings <laughs> by saying, listen, um, to the idea that nobody cares about CU um, because they were 1 11 last year, is that 9.3 million people seem to care enough to watch them in the you know, wee hours of the morning, right? Uh, Eastern time last week, and even Mountain time. The game ended after midnight. The game ended Sunday morning Mountain time uh, last week. The split continues to be about fifty-fifty, and I, I think we found it that way in talking to uh, various people, some on the air, some off the air. That, um, and I find it convenient now that people say, "Well, they, uh, you know, they haven't beaten any ranked teams." Well. TCU runs ranked 17th when they played them and was more than a three-touchdown favorite against CU in the opener. And nobody thought Nebraska was as bad 
They they just lost close game after close game. The, nobody thought Nebraska was as bad as CU made Nebraska look in game number two. And, you know, game number three is a rivalry game, and whatever was said back and forth during the week uh, clearly inspired Colorado State and may have left a CU team that might have been a little bit overconfident to begin with, yeah. a lot overconfident by the time the game began. But CU has Shadur Sanders, and I know they won't have Travis Hunter tomorrow, and that's a big loss for Colorado going to Eugene yeah, and then yeah. having to play USC uh, almost certainly without Travis Hunter the following week to close out the month of September. But if you have Shadur Sanders, you have a shot. You do. You because have a puncher's chance. I, I think, it, and I was reading a piece today uh, on the athletic site uh, on, uh, and they did they did something that's good journalism. I think they went back and they took all the Pac-12 people who anonymously said before the season began, see you would win two or three games, and the over under two point seven mm-hmm. put them in good company or bad company, as right. the case may be. Uh, but a lot of bad company or a lot of good company. Uh, they went back to all those people, again, anonymously, but they went back to the same people and said, what do you think yep. now? Right. And you got the same kind of 50-50 split. Some people said, dead wrong. No matter what happens from here on out, he's dead wrong about them. They've already won more games than I thought they'd win. And it looks like they're going to be a bowl team this year, uh, given the two Arizona schools who remain on the schedule for Colorado and Stanford. That gets you to six wins right there. They sh- they will be favored in all three of those games, I suspect. So they should get to six wins. And then there were people who did cling to the idea that some weaknesses are there that weren't fully exploited in the first three games, but maybe in the next two at the very least. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea that CU would be three and five or three and six, no, they're not going to lose five or six in a row. They're going to get uh, Arizona State. I know the game is on the road. They're going to get Stanford. That's homecoming. Stanford's not very good. And I think they're going to get Arizona. Now, it, it, that Arizona game may be the one they have to get, one, because it's home, and two, because it's their last home game before going to Washington State and going to Utah. But again, opinion divided, and I just think that makes CU more interesting. It, it, it Obviously, they've exceeded most everyone's expectations already. They're definitely the most compelling story, and they will be until, of course, they lose a couple, and that may be coming in these two weeks. The uh, idea about the game is there there are opportunities for CU to win it. There are also plenty of reasons to believe that Oregon could actually make it even uglier. Earlier today, uh, over on ESPN, uh, when you're talking about breaking down the game, from the national perspective, where, again, yeah. you said the, the results are sort of split. Here's what Desmond Howard had to say on Get Up today. Well, you know, like well, about three or four weeks ago, we, we were looking at a, a, a TCU team that was highly ranked, and they were about to host Colorado. And Colorado was probably like a three-touchdown underdog. So how was they going to pull off this huge upset on the road? Well, first and foremost, 
They got off to a fast start. They took the crowd out of the game. It was like a shootout. It was like, you know, fast offense against fast offense. So that's the key first for Colorado. Austin Stadium, that's a quaint, loud, very loud stadium uh, that they play in in Oregon. So they want to take the crowd out the game. Make sure they eliminate turnovers. You don't want to turn the ball over on the road. I tell you what, as a fan, though, I just feel so cheated that we're not going to see Travis Hunter, the two-way superstar for Colorado in this game. So I think defensively, they're going to have to play like a, a lot of zone, a shell coverage, and keep Oregon's offense in front of them. So I think getting off to a fast start, no turnovers, and then great defense, keeping everything in front of them is a recipe for success for Colorado. I agree with him 100%. Um, I don't think great defense is going to be possible, quite frankly. I was just going to say that. And he isn't saying that they will play great defense. He said they'll need to. Yeah, and I don't think I literally do not think it's possible. They are not a great defensive team, and I won't bother to go into all the statistical categories defensively, in which CU does not rank in the top 100. Now, I think it is a little misleading to suggest that their schedule has been soft. If you uh, compare no. 1 through 133, it's not a tough schedule. It's not on the top 50 in degree of difficulty, but it's a top half schedule. And most of the top teams, conference play, in most instances, has not yet begun. Right. All right? We're, we're getting a lot of conference openers tomorrow. A lot of these featured games tomorrow are conference openers. So everybody is among the top teams is, is, you know, punching down during the first two or three weeks. And Oregon's, of the Oregon's no different. They've had a much easier schedule, but I think when you look at it, correct. When the people look at the, at the big wins at the end of the year, yes, they'll look at strength of schedule and they should, uh, the bus won't be lacking because they're in the Pac-12. But the bus are 55th, is what I'm saying, at. and that's yep, upper yep, half. I get that. But what you'll, through three weeks. Yep. But let me let me tell you what a lot of the, the voters look and what the way they, they think about it. They look at Colorado and they say, road win against a ranked team. Road win against a Power 5 ranked team. Okay, that's your, your opening win over TCU. Regardless of what TCU is now, right. that's, what, that's what they're going to look at. Yeah. That's a road win against a ranked Power 5 team. You have a home win against a Power 5 team and a historical rival, and you have a home win against an in-state rival. Now, I understand that Colorado State will find out where they, I think they've they've gone on to something with Fowler, Nicolosi, and, yeah, and Tori Hart. I, I, I think, I think so. But I I understand they're, they're not a great team, but I also think when voters look at this, they also say, hey, these in-state rivalries are sometimes like this. I think the Buffs, these first three games, stack up quite well. I don't think they have anything to apologize for. Well, here's the the deal. And, you know, is it legend or, or reality? And I would say the answer to that is it is neither at this point. They are we, not we don't one of the 20 best teams in the country. Although they are that. ranked that way. And so there, there's some legend and just the fact that they've been so electrifying and so compelling and the greatest story in sports for the month of right. September. There's no question about that. But they also didn't get to put up 136 points against the likes of Portland State and Hawaii. No, no. They, like they Oregon has. Not, not that they necessarily would have, but yes. You have to understand, in context, last year, Colorado out of 133 FBS schools was 128th in total offense. 
And this year, the 23rd. They had 10 passing that, that, touchdowns last year. They have 10 deal. now. I know. But <laughs> just the, the, the totality of the offense, we know they don't set records running the football. They've gone from 128 to 23rd. Um, yes, Shador Sanders getting hit too much, but, boy, he seems to hold up pretty well. And he holds the ball, but he holds the ball with a purpose uh, to try to keep plays alive. And he hasn't. He's had one interception this year in three games against 10 touchdown passes. He's always throwing the ball in the right place. And the the defense certainly hasn't supported the offense very much. Nope. It's 96th in success rate allowed this year. And success rate is basically a metric that takes first down, second down, third down, and applies certain percentages. I think if the first down you get, give up 50% of the yards or more uh, needed for the first down, uh, you're not doing well. You're unsuccessful. If you're giving up on second down more than 70% of uh, the necessary yardage, you're unsuccessful. And obviously on third down, if they convert, you're not successful. And, and, and CU is not great defensively. Uh, They've had magical moments in these three games. Can they sustain that? I don't know. Some years it falls your way. Some years it falls your way. It happened to TCU last year. And more than one person has looked at the comparison between CU and 23 and TCU and 22 and has seen a lot of similarities. Uh, Listen, Colorado will be playing four unbeaten teams in the next six games, so we will find out about them. They do, however, as you pointed out, have Shadur Sanders. Shadur Sanders, as it stands right now in all of college football, is second in passing yards only to fellow Pac-12 quarterback Michael Penix. His 10 touchdowns to one interception, as good as anybody except for Penix, again, who's 12-1, and one, and Sam Hartman of Notre Dame. Penix might be number one in the Heisman race, right? Uh, he's, he's looked great, but when you, you're talking about all of the great talents at quarterback, Sanders is Standing as as you like to rank them, Sandy. He's a tier one quarterback. Yeah, oh, three yeah. games in, I, I would say the three best quarterbacks I've seen: Penix, Williams, and Sanders. And we'll talk about some of the others. There have been a lot of good quarterbacks playing well so far this year, but he's no worse than third. Yeah, that's not a bad place to be, and it does give you a puncher's chance. A couple of people took a look at his draft prospects out for the Buffs. Yeah, you don't want to think about that just yet. But people are making comparisons. We'll hear about the latest next on My Life Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Happy Friday. Lots of football on tap, including, well, actually, none in Denver and none in Boulder. But both teams will be in action. We'll stick with the bus for the moment. Everybody's on the, the road. Broncos. That, that, that's weekend. it. Everyone's out. No, no games to go to. So, uh. Maybe traffic's better this weekend. I, I don't know. But we've talked about how Shadur Sanders gives them a puncher's chance. And there's even 
maybe more to that, Sandy, because if you look at the way that, that Oregon can play, and they can score in all sorts of ways, their, their running game is remarkable. The, the number of running backs that they, they are able to run out and get yards is almost ridiculous. They have five players at the running back position with nine or more carries, the worst of which has 5.8 per carry. The two guys that have 20 or more, Bucky Irving with 27, averages eight. Jordan James averages 7.4. Quite frankly, given the bus rushing defense, which is among the worst in FBS, if Oregon wanted to win this game going away because Shadur Sanders gives them a punching chance, the smartest thing to do would be to just keep it on the ground, chew up the Buffs' defense, and reduce the number of times that Sanders gets on the field. They won't. Do that, that would be the smart thing. But they won't do that because there is so much money. You can't go to ESPN.com, for example, and not see a bodacious Bo Nix for Heisman ad. There's a Heisman ad on paint. There's that same ad is painted on a building in Los Angeles. Oregon has mounted a national campaign to get Bo Nix the Heisman Trophy. And therefore, even though the simplest and straightest path to winning a conference game against a ranked opponent is just to keep it on the ground because Colorado, quite frankly, can't stop them. They certainly can't stop three or four different guys averaging more than five per. But they won't do that. And that makes it interesting because you talked about how having Sanders gives them an opportunity. The more chances he's on the field, the better chances you have. Well, obviously, the performance he's had, where now he's in Heisman contention, actually more likely to win it to the folks in Vegas than Bo Nix. Don't think that might not come into play when you're talking about coaches. But it has NFL folks salivating as well. Over on Get Up This Morning, Greg McElroy talked about Shadur Sanders. What is your evaluation of Shador Sanders as an NFL prospect? Well, Greeny, I went into it the same way I think everybody else did. Wait and see, right? I mean, is he for real? I, I hope. I mean, he was a highly regarded high school prospect. So you knew he had the blueprint for ultimate success. He has far surpassed anything I anticipated. Uh, going from kind of, and maybe an unknown, like we'll evaluate him as a prospect down the road. Now, he's not quite where Caleb Williams and Drake May are. They are by far and away the top two prospects in the upcoming draft at the quarterback spot. The guy that I have at number three is at Washington. It's Michael Penix. But at worst, at worst right now, Shador Sanders is number four, which means probably in what's likely to be a quarterback needy draft, he's probably coming off middle of the first round, maybe even the top 10, depending on when that run of quarterbacks probably starts. So he could surpass Penix too if he continues on the ascent that he's been on in the first three weeks of the season. He could be top five, actually. Um, on the trajectory uh, he's on. And uh, yes, I know there's uh, uh, campaigns for all these right. guys. Not so much for Shadour, uh, don't, actually. Don't undervalue His the own idea. coach says the best player on the, on the offense is Travis, is Travis Hunter. Hunter. And don't underestimate the star power of a Shadur Sanders when it comes to NFL teams, especially the teams that pick in the top five that are looking to sort of Make a splash. There's some value in that, too. Well, yeah, but there's substance. Uh, it, oh, certainly. It, it, if he goes in the top five, it won't be uh, for box office reasons. Everybody sells out in the NFL. It'll be because they think he's one of the five best football players out there. And he has the advantage, of course, of being a quarterback. If you're a running back, he could still be one of the five best players out there, conceivably. But he wouldn't go <laughs> in the top five. Might not even be in the first round. Might not go in the first round. 
uh, he has been assisted, and there's a terrific piece uh, by uh, Sam Kahn Jr. of The Athletic on Daryl Colbert Jr., who's a longtime personal quarterback coach for Sanders and has been on the sidelines for all three games. Terrific piece. And it is headlined for Shador Sanders, personal quarterback coach. Hot start is no surprise. He's been that same guy. Uh, or as Dion would say, he's him. And it, it's, it's a fascinating piece about how they've worked on his technique. And, yes, they did anticipate an adjustment to FBS, and they worked all summer on making some of those adjustments, and that's why the transition has been so smooth. And they had to make another one. And Sanders Sanders himself gets credit for that. After the TCU game, he was asked specifically what he noticed, and he did say that, you know, as he realized, linemen get off blocks faster, and they get to the outside faster. And and he learned it immediately. He is still adjusting, I think, when you look at the idea of of how he holds on to the ball, but you pointed out he held on to it with purpose, and he does. He reminds me of a great deal, and I'm not making the direct comparison because I know who I'm talking about, but the actual height and weight is almost exactly the same, less than 10 pounds different. The right-handed, the idea of to roll out, a person who can run when necessary but isn't really blessed with great speed, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, especially Cal Aaron Rodgers. I, I, you know... A lot. I, I know Aaron Rodgers is wearing number eight with the Jets, but we all know him as number 12, and Shadur Sanders number 12. I, I see that comparison. I really do. And there's, Yeah, there's and, two. And, and, you know, I I think what is underestimated, well, two things underestimated about Shadur Sanders. One, people are coming around to realizing that's his competitiveness. He is a great competitor. Mm. Now, he's not. audacious he's not given to boasting he is not a showman on the field and i think people underestimate his technique nor is he quite frankly much of a risk taker he takes the smart place well he throws the right place you have not seen you you have not seen him make a lot of the ones that just sort of daring oh i can get this in here he makes the right decisions and Last week on that 98-yard drive, and yes, CSU gave him some help by playing uh, coverages that were way too soft and only rushing three, maybe at times four guys, but often three on that final drive. Why they did that is anybody's guess. But Shadur Sanders kept the ball out of the middle of the field unless he was throwing beyond the sticks. And, of course, in the last two minutes, Shadur Sanders knows that the clock stops after first downs the way it always did in college football until this year right. when outside of the two-minute period in each half, the clock keeps running after first down. That's cut about seven minutes per game so off the viewing it length, by does, the way. Yes, it does give you the opportunity in the last two minutes to stop the clock by throwing the ball in the middle of the field, but you've got to throw it past the sticks to get the clock to stop. Right. He understands that. And if he's throwing short of the sticks, he's thrown to the sidelines and guys are going out of bounds. And That's why he didn't have to use either of their two remaining and if neither timeouts. of those things are there, he'll roll out and take one or two yards at best if he can, get out of bounds, or he'll just ditch it. 
he is he's not afraid to just ditch beyond his years and he doesn't play street ball which i think was the common perception of you know hbcu quarterback black he probably plays street ball He's not that way at all. In he's fact, pretty, he's almost 180 he's pretty degrees surgical, removed. As a matter of fact, yeah. right? He's oh, and that's why he's good late in games. And uh, the piece uh, by Khan at the Athletic today uh, pointed out that uh, Sanders has been trained by Colbert since high school, and last December at the Celebration Bowl. There was more time on the clock than there was last Saturday night or early Sunday morning. Four minutes, 31 seconds, and less ground to cover, 81 yards on that occasion, but the stakes were the same. Lead the team downfield to force overtime. Sanders did just that to bring Jackson State even with North Carolina Central, but the Tigers lost in overtime. This time, Sanders went all the way, leading Colorado to a thrilling 43-35 win over its in-state rival in uh, what turned out to be double overtime. But, uh, yes, you've got the 1,251 passing yards, second in the country, uh, 136 attempts, also second in the country, fourth in completion percentage at .787. You have CU averaging almost 41.5 points per game, 15th in the country without a ground game, and he's been sacked 16 times, which is 130th in the country. So he's he's done all this while being pressured a lot. And, you know, we talk about Tier 1 guys and Tier 2 guys, and Tier 3 guys who are serviceable in the NFL, but at Tier 2 at times and at Tier 3 most of the time, you need a running game, you need a defense. Shadur Sanders has no running game and has a defense that is ranked in some areas outside of the top 100. 100, right. Outside of the top 100. Well, they certainly are in, in yards allowed and, and points allowed. As uh, you will <laughs> delve into here shortly, on the basis of percentage of rushes with a blown block, right? the only team worse than Colorado so far among 133 FBS schools is Colorado State. Air Force is number one. We're tied with no blown blocks. It's also why they're leading the country rushing in rushing. Plays. They're, no they're, surprise. Yeah, they're the it's Troy Calhoun. yards. Every year, you know they're going to well, run the ball. You, you talked about, you know, Colorado State. Uh, it is funny because out of the FBS teams, the state of Colorado has number one, number 132, and 133. In other words, the best and the two worst and in is, the country when it comes to run blocking. I say, and Shador Sanders by far the best quarterback in the state one of the best in the country, clearly. But it, Air Force may be the best team in the state. Now, I, I don't know how we'll know that definitively, but it's been true in the past. Certainly was true but last even year. even the Rams, right, the one team that's worse, had two running backs over 50 yards, Kobe Johnson with yeah. 54, Avery Morris. I actually Not a great yards per carry. I thought I, they I ran thought it they too ran few it times. 
games. Uh, here I, yeah, I, I thought they ran it okay when they did run it, and they ran it better than the CU. They ran, ran it, it better than CU's? And, and here's the Absolutely killer stat about the CU running game, and I'll rest my case on this. CU runners have been hit at or behind the line of scrimmage on 51.5% Yikes. of design rushes. Nothing that is the worst that. in the Pac-12. It is 117th in the country, averaging 3.9 yards per carry. That's 114th in FBS. The national average is 5.0 yards per rush. The fact that Dylan Edwards... CU's at 3.9. Dylan Edwards, their freshman running back, is still on 25 carries, averaging 5.4 per. That <laughs> yeah. is... He's remarkable. He's terrific. In other words, he's a he lot better terrific. than those numbers make you look when he's you're getting much hit better than the line his of blockers and the other running backs. Now, for the buffs, Deion Sanders said that they may get the debut of Alton McCaskill, the terrific transfer at the University of Houston who had suffered yeah. an ACL injury. He believes that he but may be able to play this week. He'll be carrying the ball, not blocking. Uh, no, but, but it would give you another back that has had success and has, at least before the injury, has a lot of burst and agility. We, we shall see. Obviously, Edwards has kept it afloat, which is remarkable for a true freshman who weighs a buck seventy. By the way, soaking wet, but they need more of a running game to help the pressure on Sanders. Uh, he's done a great job, but you just don't want him hit that often. It is going to be a monumental lift. Uh, do I believe the Buffs are going to win this game? No. Am I even sure they're going to cover the three touchdown spread? No. No, because quite frankly, as I said, if I would not bet this, if game. Dan Lanning <laughs> wouldn't go near who coaches Oregon wanted to make this game a one-sided mess, he could, but it would require not needing to lean on Bo Nix, and there's clearly, clearly a focus yeah. on getting Nick's numbers. Yeah, they, they are, so but they also have a, a lot of passing stuff by design that's very efficient. Oh, they're very he's good. Not, he's not going to throw I'm just picks. saying this isn't a game where he needs to well, probably throw more than 25 yeah, passes. They, they, their game is not smash mouth. They're a good running team because everybody – has to drop back and and defend. In fact, uh, it it has been said against Oregon, uh, you know, everybody opens a nickel now, even a college game, yeah. certainly in the NFL. Everybody opens, a, everybody opens a nickel. Against Oregon, you ought to open a dime and stay there. Six defensive backs and just stay there. They throw to running backs. They throw to tight ends. They throw to wide receivers. They throw to the water boy. And the Buffs don't have... Travis Hunter, that's going to be a, a challenge for them as well. We'll turn our attention to the Denver Broncos because if the Buffs lose, 3-1 and one isn't the end of the world. In fact, it's still pretty good. For the Denver Broncos, if they lose 0-3, oh okay, it's football. It's never the end of the world, but it probably is the end of their playoff chances, only three games in. What can the Broncos do? Jeff Saturday for ESPN had a very interesting discussion that uh, Sandy already Already rolled his eyes at. So you'll want to hear that next as well as find out who the Broncos will be missing. It's not good. It's not helpful. We'll tell you next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
I mean, I know my mic was on, but it's Friday, and I got to let that breathe a little bit. I mean, come on. The Denver Broncos go to Miami to salvage their playoff chances, hopefully. But the problem is they're playing one of the best teams in the league in the Miami Dolphins, and they will be missing Sandy Justin Simmons, who will miss the game with the hip injury that has uh, kept him out of practice this week. Literally adding injury to insult. Yes. Frank Clark, who also has a hip injury, won't even travel to Miami. Justin Simmons is out. Mike Purcell with the ankle is questionable. That's it for the injury list for the Broncos, of course, besides the people that were previously injured, like Baron Browning and K1 Williams. Right. Yeah, we got it. Uh, For the Dolphins, your latest update, Salman Ahmed, their backup running back, is doubtful, not playing a major role. Anyway, everyone else questionable. The big names involved there, Defensive tackle Raekwon Raekwon Davis, who is questionable with the wrist injury. However, he has practiced in at least limited fashion all week and full on Friday. So the odds look pretty good there. Same with tight end Juliet Hill with an ankle injury, limited, limited, and then full in the last three days. Jalen Waddell from concussion uh, did not practice until today, but did practice in limited fashion. He is listed as questionable. That would be your textbook game time decision. Yeah, and they would err on the side of caution. They would against this team because, obviously, when you're talking about the defensive situation, it is ugly. But, Sandy, it is kind of remarkable. And I'm not saying two games in is bail on the entire endeavor. I'm not saying that. But it is sort of amazing how much the previous pre-Broncos career of Russell Wilson and Sean Payton seemed to hold sway over people outside of Denver. (laughs) Earlier today on Get Up, Jeff Saturday, former former interim head coach of the Uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, very briefly. In spite of what you may be hearing here, a much better commentator than he was a head coach. And I think the problem, and I'll say this in advance, and then we'll talk more about it on the other side after we hear it, the problem is this is Coach Jeff Saturday speaking, not analyst Jeff Saturday, who is uniformly excellent as an analyst. But uh, as you may hear, he is mocked for speaking like a coach, not well, an analyst. Here's Saturday from Get Up This Morning with the rest of their crew. Sean Payton and, and Russell Wilson have been together like this long, all right? Give, give it a break, right? That, that's how long they've been together in the NFL world. Give them some time. If you look at Russell Wilson in the first half when Sean Payton scripts between 15 and 20 plays and gets him, look at the, look at his numbers. Yeah. 85%. They've scored 35 points, I think, on their first three drives and then 15. What's, gonna, what's happening what is, okay, but- is you're seeing the second half. You can't predict how teams are going to adjust to him, but they will find – Sean Payton will find with Russell Wilson, hey, here's what we – and Russell has shown in the past, fourth quarters he can make things happen. They just aren't in sync yet of where the ball needs to go, why it needs to go where it needs to go, and neither are the rest of the players. I love to just put it on Russ, but everybody has to understand what their role is, and when you see Sean Payton's plan, it looks perfect. And as, it, as the game goes on, they're not as good. They will get to that in, in the latter part of the season. Jeffrey, it is so good to have you back on this day. <laughs> Uh, when you show that graphic and then you show, look at Russ, he's cooking in the first half, and then the numbers suggest, oh, and then the food is burnt. Like, like I, I look at that and I just say, well, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. Like that's not de enough. Defenses are making adjustments, adjustments right, in an offense that he's not familiar with, and neither are the other guys. That's what happened. Is when defenses start changing and say, "Oh no, no, we're going to mix our coverage here. We're going to put this yeah. guy down." All of a sudden, Russ doesn't. They haven't had the conversation in the building. Hey, well, you're going to get these two looks. You're going to go right or left. Here's where Russell Wilson's going to go. Those conversations haven't been. Oh, you have to have experience to get there. How long do you think that takes? It probably takes eight weeks. It takes about eight weeks. You think they can win in the midst of that, though? Yeah, yeah. They okay. can, that's when, but that's when the defense has got to step yeah, up. Yeah. Other players got to make plays. Can you win? You got to find ways to win. I'm scared with this defense. I, I ain't going to lie. I, I was just yeah. laughing because I felt like Jeff was having a coaching flashback. For right sure. There. He did. They go changing stuff. I'm telling you. got to move it. And then I'm telling you. are not ready. Y'all went everybody not on the Everything looks good on the board, Everything looks good on the board. I'm just letting you know. It don't just work like that. You know, it's funny. Nobody, including Jeff Saturday, a very fine analyst, gave that much leeway to Nathaniel Hackett at this time last no. year. And the Broncos were about to go 2-1 and one at this time a year ago. And nobody said, oh, well, Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett just got together. Give them some time. Give them half a season. Give them longer if need be. And none of that nonsense that he's spewing there was available to Nathaniel Hackett a year ago. Nor should it have been. But just because Sean Payton succeeded with Drew Brees, then it's assumed, oh, he and Russell Wilson, they, 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 there's some conversations they haven't had. Well, if they haven't had the conversations, they're not on the same page. And if they're not on the same page now, they won't be on the same page this year. And it won't even matter once they go on three, whether they get on the same page in week four. The season is gone. Listen, I think it's gone already. I think it was gone when they lost the Raiders in the opener the way they did. It certainly was gone when they blew an 18-point lead, which is very hard to do against a Washington Commanders team. By, by, by the way, the how often have, uh, uh, as opposed to Wilson and Peyton, have uh, enemy and Howell worked together? Right. And same, Howell's same, a second-year quarterback time, right? who didn't play last year. Pretty much. Right, and the enemy's brand new as the offensive coordinator. But no, nobody's saying after the commanders start 0-2 and they come back from 21-3 late second quarter to win the game 35-33, nobody's saying, well, gee, you know, Eric, the enemy needs a little more time with Sam Howell. Right. It's just bogus. I mean, there are new I mean, this is coaches and new quarterbacks uh, all over your career. League. You know, you've, you've basically sort of earned, I guess, the the grace to to look by, to look at those things and presume well it must be just it must be time that there's there's no way that things are working that poorly it, things will always and that that's one of the things that that happens in sports too right there's this idea that is very real for the most part when you're talking about uh things by and large and the term is regression but they can also ascend to the mean in general yeah that's why we can get sports we keep statistics it allows you to see Roughly what's average and roughly what's not. And when people have long careers, there is the thought process that things will go back to the way they were for the most part. But they don't always. And I, I think the point you're making is really good. If the idea is Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, two guys who could make at least a case that they will be in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at the end of their careers, and if in the same span of time, 
Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell can actually be more advanced in their partnership. Much more advanced. Well, what Much does that mean? That may indicate that, that, that getting back to what was average may not actually be what's occurring here. Well, listen, um, let me count the ways in which the Dolphins will dominate the game on Sunday. 3-0 and uh, last year, a very good chance to go 3-0 and this year under Mike McDaniel, a brilliant young coach. Best passing offense in the league at the present time, averaging 355 yards per game. Yikes. And, yes, they played the Chargers. That helped. But they, they also, also played the Patriots, who were wildly efficient and effective, yeah. by the way, too. And Denver is 21st ranked in pass defense, by the way. Now, it helps the Broncos that Waddle uh, – was only limited today in practice, basically in practice previously this week in concussion protocol. Uh, The Miami defense did give up 233 yards rushing against the Chargers in week one, and they've given up 4.9 yards per carry in two games, but the Broncos can't run the ball, so it really doesn't matter. Here's the key. Russell Wilson's QBR against man coverage in 2023 is 17. That is beyond bad. That's the second worst in the NFL. The only quarterback worse you can probably guess against man-to-man coverage is Pickett of the Steelers, mm-hmm. who clearly isn't ready to make that next, lead the Steelers and make that next, and make lead, that next right. step. Not yet. Again, he played a lot in the preseason. Tomlin likes to play his starters, and he looked great in the preseason, and he's looked off on the first two games. The Dolphins, by the way, Uncle Vic, the Dolphins use man coverage at the third highest rate in the National Football League through the first two Because they can. Look at their defensive backfield. I understand. Yikes. I understand. That's the idea. He can't throw, and he couldn't throw last year against man-to-man defense. It's it's the same thing as saying Cortland Sutton can't beat man-to-man coverage anymore. He can't. I don't know why he's... Three years removed from a knee injury. It, it doesn't, he can't be it doesn't look coverage. like he's been able to he do it. He can't. And one of the reasons that Russell Wilson has right. a 17 QBR say, against part man of it. coverage is because Cortland Sutton, their best receiver with Jerry Judy either out entirely or obviously restricted by his hamstring injury, can't beat man-to-man coverage. That's why Wilson is lousy in throwing the ball against man coverage. And, uh, oh, by the way, the Dolphins are 14-5-1 against the spread as home favorites since 2017, long before Mike McDaniel got on the scene. And it's also a September game in Miami, which invariably means heat and humidity. Muggy heat. And it is the kind of heat and humidity that the Kansas City Chiefs experienced last weekend in Jacksonville in a game the Chiefs should have won by 30 points because Jacksonville... For some reason, Trevor Lawrence has regressed, at least through the first two games. He looks as bad as he ever did last year in the first half of the year. And uh, Jacksonville uh, only scored nine points in the game. And Kansas City should have scored 30 or more, given the way their defense played. And they didn't because they were overcome by the heat and humidity. And this is the Kansas City Chiefs who train in heat and humidity in Kansas City every year. But there's no heat and humidity like Florida heat and humidity, <laughs> whether it's Jacksonville or not especially wrong. Miami. So, uh, and 
you know, you, you've got, and, uh, you know, I, I was kidding around about Pat Sertan being the cover boy uh, on Mile High Sports yesterday. With Simmons out, it's Sertan and pray for receivers to be slipping all over the field and falling down or something. Sertan has, in fact, given up 42 yards over uh, 60 coverage snaps this year. That's good, but it's not even top five among cornerbacks on a yards per coverage uh, basis and uh, coverage snap basis. And it of uh, among cornerbacks who have had at least 50 coverage snaps, why isn't he in the top five? He's supposed to be the best cornerback in football. Well, this will be an opportunity to show it, certainly, in this game in Miami. They are going to need him if they're even to have a, uh, well, I guess, you know, snowball's chance in heat and humidity is it's pretty bad, too. We'll talk more about that as the program goes along, but we'll have an opportunity. It is a, a football Friday, which means lots of college football, lots of pro football, all sorts of stuff coming up. And we'll get a chance to break all of it down with our betting expert and uh, also our boss, Nate Lundy of My Life Sports, joins us next. 